One Week Season. everybody we hope you all had a great thanksgiving and welcome to this week's recap and look forward at week 12 uh hilo who i'm on here with today wrote up the three games that we had on thursday and we're gonna do a look back at those and talk about where we were right and where we were wrong and give a little recap there and then we're gonna look at two games today we're gonna look at the texans and dolphins and the bears versus jets both which are getting a lot of steam and some interesting projections so far coming out of both sides of that game even though the bears and jets as you can see up on our screen if you're watching us on youtube is a very Peasley 38 and a half. So with that being said, I'd like to welcome in the world famous Hilo, the man with seven jobs and a family that keeps him on his toes at all times. How you doing, sir? Let's go, man. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing great, dude. The holidays um, were a good time. We did, uh, we, had, we were just talking about it before the show. We had two total Thanksgivings. Um, we did like one on the Mexican side of the family and then uh, one on my wife's side of the family. So it was good, dude. Um, but yeah, and actually had a sweat and a Millie maker for the first time um, in probably two years. Cause I usually don't play any more than 10 or so lineups in the Millie maker, just because it's just fun to have um, the path to a Millie, even though it's so, right. so low, but um, so I usually only play like 10 max um, in the Millie with my primary emphasis on single entry three max. But yeah, we actually, so I, uh, I played 10 lineups in the Millie and I let my wife make one of the lineups just so she could like, we could have something to like follow along and bond with over on Thanksgiving. Like as we have all this, like moving um, all these moving pieces and all this family and stuff ended up, her lineup was the nuts out of game one. Um, the, the lineup in question was basically Josh Allen um, with Isaiah McKenzie and Amon Ross St. Brown. And so like she had the nuts leaving game one and I was like, okay, let's, it's time to reassess. And so I went <laughs> in and we, we huddled up and we, we addressed the lineup and we, we changed things around and um, we ended up having a sweat with uh, we had uh, going into the last game, we had the, the absolute nuts. And then it was like, we had uh, new England defense, Justin Jefferson and Damian Harris going, which I thought would be the lowest, combined ownership from that game um and it just didn't work out with with damon harris getting injured yeah that's brutal because you were uh you were going to be on that if uh if it's not there so she's uh i'm sure she's going to enjoy reminding you though that she's better at making lineups than you are at this point right <laughs> oh yeah dude yeah Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, we, um, you know, we were talking about that before. Uh, if you're listening to us on podcast, don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube. If you want to see our pretty faces, stream it there as well. And we're, let's talk about Thanksgiving real quick. And since this is a, a recap show, so you went over to your Mexican family side, does mm-hmm. Nana make tamales? And if so, what kind? What's your, what's your one, one out of one, what's your, what's your go-to there? Tamales are the one out of one of Mexican food because they're so hard to, they're so hard to make right. Um, They're really easy to get dry. They're really easy to get flaky. Like you want it nice and moist and, and kind of obviously just cuts apart with the fork right there, but you don't want it to just fall apart on its own because then it's just this kind of like mush salad in your mouth. Um, Super hard to get right. That said, we do not, we do, um, she does the traditional Thanksgiving dinner because about once a month, we used to do it twice a month growing up. We would have just the big family dinners over at her house where it, we would alternate because my Nana is Italian and it was my, my grandfather on that side, my Tata, who was, um, okay. First generation from Mexico. Um, and so we would alternate like once a month, we would get this bomb ass Italian food. Once a month, we'd get this bomb ass Mexican food. And so like tradition, we would do like traditional dinners on, on Thanksgiving and Christmas, like the Thanksgiving Turkey, the, the ham on Christmas. Um, but yeah, tamales are the, are the one one of Mexican food. Cause they're so hard to get right. Like usually if I go to a new Mexican joint, 
I like order the tamales the first time I've been there because that's like my gauge of if they're worth a damn or not. <laughs> that's so funny. I literally do the exact same thing. My wife knows like if we go somewhere, I'm going to order the tamales because I want to see if they can actually like make the food right. Yeah. And dude. right. Like that's because I say, right. We were just talking about earlier growing up, you know, we both grew up in Phoenix. So have a lot of exposure to that. You know, one of my best friends was Hispanic and I got to go the other way. So my wife is Simone and Tongan. So okay. we went over to her family's house and I got to enjoy a bunch of their food. They like now we, they also make traditional, you know, Turkey stuffing, but they have a lot of seafood in their culture. Yeah. So with COVID and different things that happened, we've missed out on some of the stuff. Uh, but we got crab as a big one in Thanksgiving and they do a crab and coconut milk. That's like my absolute, like, favorite and so i got to do that i got my muscles this year so with uh being able to get access to some of that stuff it, it made for a, a good day yeah dude that sounds uh delightful i'm a big fan of of pacific islander food a big fan of of asian food um that's so yeah that sounds great yeah it was it, it was nice so um i went the other way i uh i played solid i had right in the middle of the road lineups thursday but where i did really well was props um i faded a bunch of the chalk so i you know i faded davis i faded mick uh who did i have there in that first game so i actually hit on prize picks i did the combined yards for allen so i got his under I got um, Stefan's under, I got Gabe's under. Uh, I was kind of all over that game. I had Goff's under and I had to decide for one, for what would have been a, a big payout at underdog. Uh, I did a coin flip then I had to go, okay, who's going to catch, right? If somebody's got to catch the ball and I went Knox instead of McKenzie, which uh. that, that busted a, a very, what would have been a very nice five legger there. Uh, but I hit some threes and fours on it with it as well. And, and then yeah. for the game, you know, I went down and went into the giants and the Vikes and, and kind of tied that game and same, I just brought uh St. Brown out of, out of the lions game and said, okay, Hey, right. I think Josh is going to be 30, 40, 50%. And let's see if I can get hot and, you know, get some, combinations of ownership a little bit lower and i didn't get to sweat a millie but we did okay yeah yeah it was a good slate dude i like those um i think the short slates like three four or five games which we don't get a ton of in nfl but they're kind of like bread and butter in either nba and, and mlb when we get those like short slates the afternoon slates stuff like that um that are like three to five games that's really like from a game theory perspective i think where you can generate the most leverage because you can um, you can do things that the field is just not comfortable with when you're primarily dealing with large slate stuff. Um, I'm still working through like how I apply everything I've learned and, and know onto like a showdown slate where it's just one game because it's just really, it's, it's such a different animal that I haven't perfected that yet. I've been working through that for the past probably year and a half, um, how I handle showdown slates, but with those small slates with, you know, the only really example is Thanksgiving or the playoffs for NFL. That's really where I've had like the most success because you, you can just do things that people are just not comfortable with. Um, and from a theoretical sense, you can gain a lot of leverage there. So where did you go in the giants Cowboys game? Obviously with CD, I would assume if you had the nuts going into. No, no? dude, CD wasn't the nuts. Um, he put up an okay score, but the nuts was Zeke. Right. Okay. I just yep. had Zeke and um, um, the, the fucking Giants wide receiver that scored on the last play. Um, whatever his name is. Yeah. Uh, Richie James. That's what's up. Yeah. And he was chalky, though. Everybody was kind of all over him from a prop side. Uh, yeah. If you looked at like the props, everybody was like, somebody's got to catch the ball, right? Like back to one of those, like somebody's going to have to do it here. We're not sure who's going to, but. Um, oh, and then I had a, I had freaking uh, Andy Dalton, or not Andy Dalton, Dalton Schultz. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, who popped in two scores. Yeah, that was nice and season long for me. So, yeah, so breaking down left uh, from Hilo's side of the ball, we only have two games left here, and we're going to start with the with the Bears at the Jets. Obviously, the Bears team total here is showing 16 and a half because of fields and his situation. 
we know the jet situation with the quarterback change. I'm, I want to walk through your thought process on why they're not going to Flacco when Flacco's shown the ability to at least put up some offense with there. What do you, what do you think's going on on why they're not making the move to him? I honestly don't know. (laughs) The (laughs) only thing that I can think of is that they want their offense to stop losing games for them. Um, Where, you know, like from Joe Flacco and Zach Wilson, they're, they're similar in the sense that they're a little bit more risk takers. They like to push the ball downfield. The, the switch to white is although like he, he threw more interceptions than touchdowns last year. It was like eight to seven. Um, but his a dot was like, or his average intended air yards was like minuscule. It was like 35th in the league last year. So my only thinking is that they know like Robert Sala knows that like the identity of their, their team starts with their defense and they want their offense to just like stop losing games for them. Um, and that's why I think that the comments made from Zach Wilson following last week immediately shook that locker room because it, from the top down, it has been like Robert Sala has instilled this, um, this sense of ownership from that team. And when to see your signal caller, your who's supposed to be the face of your team, um, kind of, neglect that or, or brush it off saying like, yeah, it wasn't my fault, dude. Like, sorry. Um, I think that is what the big issue was there. Obviously that, that takes a lot of conjecture. That takes a lot of like reading the tea leaves here. Um, but I think the only thing that I can, the only reason that I can come to is they just want somebody to stop losing games for them. And if they have, if they have built up Mike white to who is this like anti risk taker um, to just take like the easier completions, which now different from last year, he's got Garrett Wilson who is capable of winning in the first five yards. Um, And I I just think that they want them to methodically move the ball and stop turning the damn ball over, which is costing them games. You know, they started off the season so hot and they've really struggled over the last months um, primarily with the turnovers. So, um, that's the only thing I can think of. Um, honestly, like it, it just takes a lot of, of forward thinking and, and reading the tea leaves because the clear play in most people's minds would have been to swap to, to Joe Flacco primarily like they're, they're in, they're still in the thick of the playoff on the AFC. So, um, yeah, that's the only thing I got. So let's talk about that. So as of this morning, when I loaded our projections and ownership before we came on, I looked at. Right now, Garrett is the highest owned wide receiver on the slate. Yeah. Now, that's interesting to me, and here's why. If you go look at Chicago's defense, they give up way more yards to rushers than they do receivers. And as a matter of fact, if you break it down on their receiving side, and, you know, they've actually played solid defense against opposing wide receivers. So I'm shocked that this is where they're going with Garrett. I get it's a price thing. Everybody's looking at him going, Hey, you know, he's so cheap. It's going to open up doors for me. But you know, one of the things we break down each week is what kind of chalk a player is going to be. Let's start with Garrett and talk about how you're going to play him and, and what kind of chalk he is for you right now. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes into that um, with Chicago. Like, yes, they have not given up a ton of points to the wide receiver position, but they've faced the second fewest pass attempts in the league. Second to only, or I guess 31st only. (laughs) Yeah. Second worst only to the Houston Texans. So while they, while they have not given up production, um, like it's a little bit different for Houston. They they drafted Stingley third overall. They had they had talent in the secondary. Whereas with the, with the Bears, they really don't have anything going on other than that. Just teams have rushed the ball the second most times against them this season. Um, it's it's been a a case of path of least resistance and where the volume has flowed against them. So while the bears have not really given up a ton of yardage, a ton of production, a ton of um, 
a ton of touchdowns to the position. They've only given up seven touchdowns to wide receivers this year, which is about half of like um, the Pittsburgh Steelers who are at 14, um, which is the worst in the league this year. But like from a, like, how do we expect this game to kind of go? The volume that we can expect Garrett Wilson, I think it's probably his range of outcomes is somewhere in the eight to 12 target range he's got like an, an eight and a half a dot. So, and then you look at Mike White's average intended air yards, it's at like 6.5. So um, like with white in at quarterback, Garrett Wilson is probably the wide receiver that is going to succeed. If anybody does on the jets, but it's like, where's the upside in this game environment. And I think that draws directly back to the status of Justin Fields. The change from Zach Wilson to Mike White is less impactful on this expected game environment than a change from Justin Fields to Trevor Simeon would be in the sense that like, we don't expect the Jets offense to largely change with their quarterback change. Whereas going from fields to a pocket (laughs) passer who struggles with downfield passing um, fields is like the exact polar opposite of Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon has like, um, troubles throwing downfield. He doesn't have plus arm strength and he's not mobile. Justin Fields is like mobile with plus arm strength and is fine. Well, that's why they're total 16 and 16 right now, right? Because yeah, going against that Jets defense, they're just going to tee off on him. And then you add in, you know, what did Chicago do and change that opened everything up for Fields? They started designing runs. They got him outside the pocket, right? Simeon's not going to be able to do that. The, the Jets, I think, will yeah. just tee off on him and uh, if it's Simeon, right, I expect the Jets to be the highest owned D this week, uh, even at their price, um, just because I think there's going to be opportunity to to go after them and people will be like, okay, this is an easy plug and play. The Jets should get them. But my worry there is the Bears won't be able to generate enough offense for the defense to get points. Yeah, so there's, I think there's there's both sides that you can argue to that statement. One is like, we have to think about like how Robert Sala is developing his, his right. game plan for this game. I think if I were in his shoes, I would be preparing my team in practice this week as if they were facing Justin Fields. I would then be going over the contingencies of like what it means should they face Trevor Simeon in like team meetings, because I don't think that they necessarily need those practice reps. Um, also like how does one or the other quarterback being in for Chicago affect how Robert Sala and the defense are going to handle this game against fields. It's likely that we see far less man coverage. It's likely that we see a, a defense that is predicated on prevent spy zone. Um, so what does that mean? That means the secondary is playing off coverage. That means they're not coming up in man press. That means that the linebackers are likely blitzing less because they need a weak side linebacker, um, coverage basically as a spy on Justin Fields to keep him contained in the pocket. Whereas a guy like Simeon, if he is a statue quarterback and he's starting, it's much more likely we see sauce Gardner up in press coverage. It's far more likely that we see, Um, increased rates of man. It's far more likely that we see unique blitz packages from their linebackers, from their strong side safety. Um, So there's a lot of moving pieces that just like that directly pertain to Justin Fields status here. Um, That goes into like, I think that they would be a far more aggressive defense should Trevor Simeon be in. So like it, it does make theoretical sense that the jets are gaining steam here. um, Their defense that is, And I think that there are paths to them performing at one of the top overall defenses should, um, should Trevor Simeon be in at quarterback. How do you feel about the running backs in this game? You know, the bears, as we talked about earlier, have been one of the sibs for running backs this year. Do you see yourself, you know, in that single entry three max, having any exposure to the jets running game? I don't think so. And the reason why is there are so many options down in this price range where like Michael Carter's at 
um, where you don't need to take on the additional risk associated with this potential workload. The Carter has played 56% or fewer of the offensive snaps in every game since Brees Hall went down. He played 73% in the game that Brees Hall went down, but that was purely a function of they only had Ty Johnson. They hadn't signed James Robinson at that time. They didn't have um, any other depth. Like when a, when a player gets hurt during the game, you typically see like his immediate fill-in um, who's most familiar with receiving those practice reps leading up. You typically see him step into the largest role. Like while Michael Carter is the lead back in New York, they have Ty Johnson playing close to 30% of the offensive snaps. They have James Robinson playing 25, 30% of the offensive snaps. So I don't think that we're going to see any one of those guys really separate themselves from the pack here. When you look at like the, I've seen all over Twitter, the guys, uh, the stat guys bringing up, oh my God, like Michael Carter saw like nine targets a game last season when mm-hmm. Mike White started. Well, it's like, yeah, they, they didn't have anybody else on the active roster that could play running back. Um, so Michael Carter was playing all the snaps. It's like, that is not the case this year that we're not going to see, or I guess it's highly unlikely that we see Michael Carter just suddenly emerge as a 70 plus snap rate guy after seeing three straight games in these exact same conditions, um, as a 50 to 55% snap rate guy. So, um, there's a lot of uncertainty that goes into like, yes, the matchup is good. Yes. We know the bears, face the second most rush attempts per game against. Um, but like we have to analyze the the macro perspective, the entire situation. And I just don't think that Michael Carter is going to see the requisite volume here um, to be viable. Um, like that severely caps his ceiling. That makes him really, really tough to click the button on in GPPs this week. If he, for me this week, so this is an example of the chalk that I just don't want any part of and that I'm okay losing to. If all of a sudden he just completely changes and they decide we're going to give him 70% and we're going to give him nine targets, I'll take my loss and move on. Like I'll just, I'll take it because to me, that's a unicorn at this point. What I do like and where I see the opportunity as you just talked about is out in, you know, Twitter, TikTok, the social media space, um, a lot of the quote unquote touts, right? Uh, I'm not sure what I would like to call everybody. I'm changing my mind weekly, but a lot of yeah. the experts are pushing him. So when I see that, a lot of times that's going to be an end up being a fade for me. And I'm willing to just put that aside. And if I, I take the loss on that, I'm okay because I think I'm going to be able to get ownership at other places and be unique that if I do hit, I'm going to have a way greater chance of winning because there's not going to be the ownership there. Yeah. I mean, like compare him to like some of the other running backs down in this range. You have like Samaj P Ryan, who Uh is probably in a similar setup, but we can expect um, a higher percentage of the running back usage out of Cincinnati. The matchup is difficult, but you're primarily playing him for like the the pass game role. Jeff Wilson is probably the the top option down here at, you know, the sub. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about that in the next game here. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, Rashad White against a Cleveland team like Rashad White has really, really struggled with efficiency. He's in like the bottom five amongst all qualified running backs this season in yards per attempt in like all these efficiency metrics and broken tackles and breakaway run rate. Um, So there's a lot of like negatives associated with Rashad white, but in the same sense, we know how valuable the, the lead running back position is for a Tom Brady led team. Um, And we can expect him to see at least 65% of the offensive snaps, maybe more um, depending on how they handle Giovanni Bernard and, and the, uh, Kashan Vaughn, who they have not liked to play because he keeps missing blocking assignments. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of other guys here that have a little bit more certainty and higher ceiling. So um, pretty much their entire range of outcomes is just shifted to the right for us. Yeah, and if as we're looking here, you know, we're going to talk about that, right? Like we're going to work our way into that game. But if you're watching us on YouTube, you can look at some of our ownership projections right now and. We're going to talk about that right there, right? Jeff Wilson right now is currently very steamed. Um, and you can get Samaje, you know, at half the ownership, right? Like there's some some opportunity there. And 
Carter's down, you know, in the four or 5% range. And I can see him coming up because of how it's going the other way. And I'm definitely going to want to take advantage of fading that the other way there. So let's move on to that game and let's talk about the, the talk, you know, the Texans at the dolphins, the Texans finally making the switch at quarterback, which is, I, I had drafted a lot of David Mills and best ball before lovey got hired and i literally stopped the second they hired lovey i think it has been terrible for him i think it is hurting his right it's hurt him it's had him regress i don't think david mills is a world beater but i also think that was probably the worst hire for his position that he could have gotten um on a on a team that Go look at Lovey's track history. Lovey hasn't had a winning record on any team at any level, college or the NFL, since 2011, right? We're 11 years later, and he still hasn't had a winning season on any team anywhere. And to me, at at some point, it's the coach and not the players. And so I'm just, I'm not a Lovey fan. And that that's hurt there. So that's really changed there on the opposite side, right? We know where the dolphins are. We know who they are. We know where the ball's going. And as we were just showing, right, Wilson's ownership, because the Texans have shown they're the nut matchup for running backs this year. And they have gotten absolutely gashed. And, you know, Hilo talks about in his breakdown about all of a sudden, right? Raheem, we're in, you know, we're two thirds of the season in, and what are we seeing? Raheem is right. Had two did not practices because he's, you know, he's in his early thirties and at running back, that's a tough position. So how do you attack this? Do you just eat the chalk and just say, Hey, we're playing Tua and right. And Z, you know, Tyreek and go from there. How, how are you looking at this game? Yeah, I think, um, Jeff Wilson should Raheem Mostert miss this game is probably the best running back chalk we've had this season um in the sense that we we know that miami is this higher pass rate over expectation team um when looking at the entire season that said if you look at tua's six complete games that he's played this season he has one game over 36 pass attempts five of his six complete games he's landed between 30 and 36 pass attempts with the one outlier being his 50 pass attempt game against uh, baltimore in week two where they made that spectacular second half comeback yeah and that was just turned into a full-blown shootout yeah so knowing that it's like how do we expect mike mcdaniel to approach a game where they're highly highly likely to control from start to finish it's probably an increased rate of off tackle zone read rushes. Um, and we look at even last week, what was it like? Uh, Moster, Moster, however the hell you want to say it. Um, and, and uh, Jeff Wilson, they combined for, what was it? They combined for, I'd have to look at it real quick. I don't have it pulled up 12, right now. 12. There's 12 for Moster, and there's 17 and 5, 22, 34 running back opportunities um, last week in a game against Cleveland that they dominated throughout. They put up 39 points, 139 to 17, and the backfield was seeing the, the two primary contributors saw 34 combined running back opportunities. Like, look at the state of the Dolphins behind Jeff Wilson. Like Chase Edmonds is no longer in town. Um, their depth chart without Mustair is fullback Alec Ingold, who's going to play 40 to 60% of the offensive snaps, depending on game environment, as they're heavy um, because they don't like to run 12 personnel. They get their heavy utilization through the utilization of their fullback. Um, so Edmonds is out of town. They have Jeff Wilson, who just came over, immediately saw 50% of the offensive snaps in his first game and then saw up to 61% last week. And then they have Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed. It's like, okay, like, who are they going to trust with touches here? It's probably going to be Jeff Wilson. Um, so there's some high upside with Wilson here. Um, and it, it plays to a game environment where Houston struggles to, to do much, which is the likeliest scenario. There are ways to generate some leverage here. You could run the two stacks 
Um, if you're running a two, a double, I would almost certainly want one piece of Houston because that theoretically says that Houston is scoring three plus touchdowns, which is kind of what you need um, to push the, the Dolphins pass game here. Um, if Houston's scoring three plus touchdowns, it's it's more likely that a single player is scoring multiple. Uh, you could run Damian Pierce um, if you wanted to. I won't be going there because the matchup on the ground is absolutely horrendous. Um, yeah, the there's Dolphins. no Pierce for me this week. I, you couldn't. Yeah, I, I can't go there. This too tough for him. Yeah. Um, so then you're like, it's it's Brandon Cooks or Nico Collins basically, um, and the the path to them seeing outrageous <laughs> my two-year-old's banging on the door um the path to them seeing relevance is probably not going to be there so this is probably the first week where i am not running to a doubles which is like i've just continued to stomp on that um the entire season um which they're probably going to hit for a, a ridiculous game now um but yeah i just think that jeff wilson is so far and away above any of the other cheaper running backs below 6k that um you can confidently play him even at the 35 plus percent ownership and differentiate elsewhere i mean he for me it's going to be if this is where we land he is pollard for me you know week before right i'm just going to eat the chalk i'm going to play him he is plug and play for mike mcdaniel it's why mike mcdaniel traded for him he he knows mike's offensive schemes he knows which directions he's going and he still has, as he's shown, has some, you know, good gas in the tank. And this is just the nut matchup for running backs. And this is one from, uh, I might just only have Wilson from this game. If I go that route and like my single entry or a three max, the other thing that I'm interested in, you know, talking about this running matchup is I'm interested to see if McDaniel gets, Tyreek and Waddle involved more if this if Moistert is out in running jet sweeps and some more of that side of it and uses them a little bit more that way just to take a couple of carries off of Wilson. And as we saw earlier in the season, they're also not afraid to give Engel the ball at the gold line and let him go vulture a few touchdowns, right? So yeah. This is, you know, while we love the total, right, we need the the Texans to push if we're really going to see this not end up being, you know, 28-10 and, you know, the Dolphins just ground the ball into, you know, into the ground on them. Yeah, and I think another piece of the context there is like Miami's coming off their bye week and Raheem Mostert started the the week with a bunch of DMPs. Um, What is their updated injury report? Um, I haven't even seen it since... I haven't looked this morning and I was looking at some other stuff. I don't know if he's hold on. Let me pull it up. I got uh, I can pull it up here. Injuries and it's not updated yet. He's doubtful. Rahimo Stair is doubtful. He had DMP, DMP, LP. So he's doubtful. I would highly expect he doesn't go coming off with starting a week with two DMPs after a bye week is not what you want to see. And, and and why do you, why do you risk him against the Texans, right? The, the dolphins are in the playoff hunt. The dolphins are, are, you know, going to, their goal is to, you know, get through the playoffs now, right? That's what they're officially looking at that. And you know, you have a running back in his thirties that has a history of injuries. And if he has DMPs, Maybe it's maintenance. Maybe it's not right. Maybe this is, Hey, we're going to, we can get him two weeks, right? We got that. We got the bye week We got this week. We're playing the Texans and essentially it's a way for them to give two weeks off to him. We really don't have any updates on that, but definitely a spot where it opens the door for Wilson to give us a smash. So what do you think on the opposite side? How are you feeling about the dolphins defense versus Allen and the opportunities they're going to create there? We've seen Lovey Smith just commit to the run. <laughs> like if they're losing a game, they're just like, ah, whatever, dude, we're still going to run. Um, we've also like earlier in the season, we saw them try and open games up um, in the second half with Davis Mills, but we haven't really seen that over the second half of the season. They've just been like, if it's not working, whatever, man, that we're just going to try and run the football. Um, Derek Stingley is also out for Houston's defense, which obviously is he's their most talented player in their secondary, uh, probably a, 
on their team. I think he's the most yeah, on their team, he's their most talented defender. Yeah. So I mean that opens up the 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 argument of like two of doubles could still be viable. Um, but just from like a an overall game environment sense, the way that the way that I go about like is establishing where fantasy production can come from on a slate. I start the week with like looking at game environments. I do the the full breakdowns of all the games. I look for where are the games that could outproduce or or overproduce um overperform the expectations from a a game environment sense. Obviously, we know that that is going to lead to primary stacks, that's going to lead to um the potential for um a full game stack. From there, I'm looking at where are the spots that that one team could find fantasy production and real-world production without the other team pushing them. The Dolphins this week fall into that bucket in the sense that, like, how would they succeed without the Texans having to push them? Again, that brings me back to, like, uh, to Jeff Wilson is probably the optimal selection from this game. Um, and after that, I'm looking for if the teams that don't fit in the game environment bucket, they don't fit in the, the, the team stackability bucket, uh, we'll call it. Then I'm looking for concentrated offenses where you can pull one-offs from, um, possibility for Garrett Wilson to be in that bucket. Uh, we talked about his path to upside is kind of limited, this week so so yeah so let's talk about that real quick right so it's one of my questions i want to finish up with you here so the rest of the slate right is what i feel a lot more interesting targets who are some of your give me a couple one-offs from the rest of the slate or one stack you really like looking at you know at the rest of those games stackability probably cincinnati is at the top um they can they have multiple paths to basically pass game production. Um, we've seen that they are now one of the most pass heaviest teams in the league. They are without their starting running back. Um, they have the potential for Jamar chase to be coming back here. Um, one of the most interesting things, and this will be a, a precursor to some of the stuff, or I guess a preview to some of the stuff that we cover in, um, the, the slate podcast, which we do live every week on Saturdays at 6 PM, um, that is available only to inner circle members. So if you want to check that out, I highly recommend doing that now because it's 75% off black Friday sale for the rest of the season for inner circle members. Um, so go jump in that the slate podcast is where we break down all the theoretical components of the slate. So I'm going to give a little free preview of kind of the stuff that we cover on that slate here. With Joe Mixon being out, with Jamar Chase being having that big red Q tag next to his name, um, and with Samaj P. Ryan now going to be the primary running back for that team, it opens up some interesting dynamics as far as stackability with this team goes that the field is probably going to be uh, largely overlooking. The first thing that I'm looking at is we know that Samaj P. Ryan is carries more per touch upside through the pass game than Joe Mixon does. We saw it last weekend. He scored three touchdowns on five targets. Um, It's kind of been his calling card throughout his career. He has been held back from playing time in a change of pace and third down role up until this year because of the fact that he had struggled with pass protection. He has performed this season as one of the best running backs in pass protection. So to me, that brings um, in the the path for him to see like borderline workhorse usage in a game without Joe Mixon. We know that the matchup is fairly difficult or not fairly difficult, but extremely difficult against Tennessee Titans on the ground. So there's an interesting stackability or a stackability angle to play from this team in the sense that you can play Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase in his first game back where he's probably not going to have a lot of ownership and Samaj P Ryan and capture the path to bulk scoring through probably the two most dynamic players on that team. We know that um, we know that T Higgins um, is kind of this like 
uh, wide receiver two when Jamar Chase is on the field. Um, and he does not perform in like an alpha role. Like people talk about like the interchangeability of T Higgins and Jamar Chase. So it's like, not really dude. Like no, T Higgins, not at all. That's... T Higgins is a, is a legitimate X wide receiver possession style, style body control wide receiver in this league. He does not bring the upside, the per touch upside that Jamar Chase brings to the table where he can house a, a slant from 80 yards which he's shown multiple times over the last two years. So like leveraging the unknowns with around that, that offense, um, particularly with Jamar chase, we don't know his snap rate. We don't know if he's even playing at this point, but like playing out these things, like what is my path to the highest upside from this team? We know that the, the Titans are one of the worst pass defenses where they're one of the most pass funnel defenses in the league. We know that Joe Burrow and the Bengals can succeed in a game without their opponent pushing them. We also know that Derrick Henry is on the other side of this game and he can rip off chunk yardage. So we know that like there are paths, multiple paths to the Bengals succeeding through the air any Bengals stacks or over stacks that we see are highly likely to be um, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. It's like, wow, I can just take the other two primary contributors to this offense, stack it up and get it at like zero ownership. Um, so that's probably the most interesting uh, team stack that I'll be attacking this, this week is, is the Bengals passing attack. Um, other highly leveraged spots Devonte Adams has scored 30 something plus fantasy points in each of the last three weeks, 30.6, 39.6 and 36.1. Um, he's, and then like, we have to look at like, has anything changed on that offense? No, like Darren Waller is still on IR. Hunter Renfro is still on IR. So like that pass game is literally like Devonte Adams. We're expecting Josh Jacobs to garner some significant ownership on the slate. So just like, Devontae Adams is like a, a highly uh, leveraged single point leverage piece on the slate. Just like play him and move on type kind of thing. It's like his, he has a extremely hollow, solid floor being the really only primary pass catcher in that offense. Seattle really doesn't have a single point that can really match up with what Devontae Adams does. He's capable of succeeding against man press. He's capable of succeeding against zone coverages. He's a, a extremely smart veteran wide receiver that can find the holes in zone. So it really anything that Seattle throws at him, he can succeed against. Um, and he's expected to be like the seventh, eighth, ninth most owned wide receiver. So yeah. that's a, a leverage point. Um, Sign me up for that all day, especially too. I'm a, I'm all over the Burrow stacks. He's yeah. Tennessee is not if they are the pass funnel. If if you actually look at the data, they're giving up the most pass attempts per game, and that's what mm -hmm. I want. I want opportunity, right? Yeah. And the range of outcomes, I want the opportunity <laughs> to get there. So who gives me that opportunity? Right? It's Tennessee, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's there and. I want that all day. And uh, as Hilo just talked about, we're having our Black Friday sale on Inner Circle. So don't forget to uh, come check it out. You can also come into our Discord and we have lots of content available that will help get you there. And once you see the content we're producing for free, it's it's a no-brainer to sign up on the Inner Circle side. We have everything from this these podcasts we're putting out to the big one on saturday that you'll see this afternoon and then we also have a dfs theory broke down on each game in our write-up that once you're a member you'll get access to as well from jm from hilo from mark johnson uh from everybody so i call them mark instead of mike the three. Yeah, Mikey. so we we have three m's at one week season we have mark mike and matt and I am really good at mixing everybody's names up. So I try to use their screen names because it makes my life easier. Um, all right. As we finish up, crazy to think we're two thirds of the way into the season. Here's my final question for you for the week. As of today, if you had to put a vote down, who is your coach of the year going into week 12 so far? Coach of the year. Um, yep. Ooh, let me think about that real quick. So it's for me probably... right now, 
uh, it's a it's a tie, uh, and I want to see how it keeps going. But right now, for me, it's Vrabel. What he's done with Tennessee again, right? To have them where they are, to have them in contention. Go look at the stats Malik Willis put up while Ryan Tannehill was out, and look how bad he was from a passing efficiency standpoint. We were just hammering his under. like he wasn't throwing for 150 yards in a game and they're still in contention. What he's done with so little while he's got Henry and Henry's still Henry. Uh, he continues to impress me and I'm all over Mike McDaniel. I think Mike McDaniel has done an unbelievable job with the dolphins and it's his take on things. I was listening to an interview and they were talking about what makes Mike different. And this was really interesting to me. One of the things he was using for his wide receivers is he was breaking down NBA film of Allen Iverson crossing people over. And what he was doing was he was showing them how Iverson's movement crossed every great defender in the NBA up. And he's taking McDaniel is taking an angle that not everybody's willing to take and showing how you get there. And if you watch the interview, it's really well done. Uh, and if after you do that, now go watch Tyreek and Waddle and even Gasecki. When they get Gasecki out from blocking, right, and they put him on the outside, watch their movement and think about how an elite NBA guard or forward moves and what they're doing with their body to cross guys up. Uh, I've, I've been really impressed. That's pretty cool. I haven't seen that. I'm going to check that out. Um, yeah, that's really cool. There's a, there's a lot of, I guess there's a lot of, of body movement and off the ball movement that it, we see in basketball that can be correlated or attributed, or I guess brought over to other sports. I, I trained, uh, I played soccer my entire life. I trained growing up playing soccer and there were times where we would watch basketball film to see the off the ball movement, which is so um, pertinent to the game of soccer um, where obviously there's, there's 22 guys on the field and there's only one ball. So um, being able to read a play, see how it's developing and move off the ball is something you see very heavily in the NBA that is attributed or, or can be pertinent to um, soccer. I like that. Um, I like that, that uh, association from basketball to football in the sense that defenders are taught and we're talking about like secondary defenders. They're taught to read a player's hips, read a player's feet placement yep. to be able to um, project what they're going to be doing on a route. Um, so yeah, that's super interesting. Um, Alan Iverson, yeah. now I want to go watch like, yeah, go watch, <laughs> go watch film now of Waddle and Tyreek. Like I said, even Gasecki, even Sherfield or their other guys, but mainly those three, when they're outside and watch their arm movement and how they're swinging their arms and what they're doing with their body when they're going at a receiver. And I think, I don't think, I know after listening to that and then watch, I went back. It's not a long article. It's real quick. Yeah. But then I went and watched the film and I just gamed it up. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at what he has him doing, right? And look at the separation. Well, they're both elite. Look at the separation it's creating with them doing that. <laughs> Defensive backs are having a hard time trying to figure out which direction they're going. It, it's really impressive when you watch the film. That's cool. Um, I think... For me at the just after midway point to answer your question, it's probably like a three coach race uh, for coach of the year. And so much of coach of the year goes into like teams win loss, how they did they make the playoffs? <laughs> it's like, right. it's like the MVP is like a quarterback award. Well, like the, <laughs> the coach of the year is like a win loss award kind of, it's kind of sad, but that's kind of just the way that it is. Um, I would probably have it a three three-man race between O'Connell and Minnesota. They're sitting at nine and two first year with the team. Similarly, Brian Dabble in New York, um, yep. who is his first time, his first year in the organization, they're sitting at seven and four in the playoff picture. Um, and then probably Mike McDaniel in Miami. Um, he's got a little bit more to work with, but they're sitting at seven and three in his first year 
with the team as well. Yeah. Um, interesting. I, a tiny bit, but I mean, look at what they're, look what he's doing at running back. We just talked about it earlier, right? McDaniel is doing it with 32 year old moisture. He had chase who was doing nothing, traded him, brought in Jeff Wilson, right? Like he's getting it done from other sides that he hasn't had to. He, I think he did a great job when Tua was down and just his scheme there. And, uh, he seems like a guy you'd want to play for, right? If you listen to him and watch his interviews, yeah, right? Like he's a fun guy to play for. And what I, what's been impressive is while the Vikings, like you talked about their record, I'm not watching them and I'm not thinking, man, Kirk cousins is doing things. I've never seen Kirk do. Right. I don't look at him and he's Kirk cousins. I think he's, I think he's exactly what we expected him to be so far. Jefferson has been elite as we expect. And he's made the best out of his his defense, whether I think he's done a good job. Um, I'm definitely on the dabble train. Um, I drafted a lot of Wandale, Daniel Jones, you know, giant stacks late and best ball because I bet on dabble. I wasn't betting necessarily on those players, but I was betting on dabble. And I'm hoping the uh, you know, I'm hoping Mr. Tony going to KC will will pay off with a couple big spike weeks here at the end of the year, and um, it's uh, be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, dude, I had so many um, Kadarius Tony and Wandell um, stacks, and yeah, I took me them. Too. I took them because it was like one or the other is highly likely to succeed, succeed because of Dabble and what he can do to get like his best his most athletic playmakers, the ball. And then we got the nut run out with <laughs> Tony yeah. going to KC. And it's like, yes. And then freaking Wandale goes down for the season. For yeah. Tony, it was dude. Tony's literally my on underdog is my highest owned wide receiver for best yeah. ball. And I was, I was all over it. And when he, like I said, that's, I'm like, I'm there. Okay. Now Wandale's like, right. He's the one he's going to get all the target. And he did, right. He's getting all the targets. And then he goes down. I was, I, I cried a little bit when that happened. So I yeah. uh, was excited for that last third of the season. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to wrap up here this week. Uh, come check us out. Like I said, we're in discord. Also uh, you'll see me tweeting out, uh, you know, a couple times a week, our updates on how our props are doing. Um, not only are we doing uh, NFL and NBA, we're also doing college basketball, which has been off to a really nice start so far. Um, and there's some method behind why we do college basketball and where we're going from there. Uh, you can also come check out our, our discord. Uh, and as we end up at the end of the week, I, I haven't got to give you a hard time because right as Hilo and I were about to record last week, somebody hit uh, one of the main transformer boxes where I'm staying and took out all the power. And so we didn't have any power for a few hours. So we were, uh, we weren't able to connect, but if you were watching us on Twitter, uh, shame on you for telling me to cash out my, <laughs> i've been waiting to give you a hard time on it and i'm gonna take that victory lap and enjoy uh that titans buddy line uh plus buddy i got there yeah that was the game against the packers on thursday yeah. uh last week i that was just purely me giving you shit from a, oh, a I Packers know, fan. <laughs> yeah yeah that no, was yeah. fun so again don't forget about a black friday sale and if you're listening to this on podcast you can also watch us on youtube and we'll have this up shortly and we'll talk to you guys soon have a good week everybody See you, fam.